He's coming around, folks. He's going to be okay and ready to play Symptom 6 of Beat the Reaper. Last week, our patient successfully survived the common cold, measles, pneumonia, dengue fever, and the yaws. And now, the big question. Are you ready to go on? What? Where? He's ready! Our topless nurse, Judy, is wheeling our patient into the isolation ward. Can you hear me in there? Okay. Let's shoot him up. Now, patient, you have ten seconds to tell us what you've got and beat the Reaper! I'm shaking feverish. My my hands are all... Yellow, my my God, I've got John. John, this it is. Give it. Symptom six. And now you've reached the final threshold. Here's the question: Are you ready for symptom number seven? Longer than any patient has ever survived before. I want to go home. Only one way to do that, doctor. Bring in the super shot. Now, for the first time on Beat the Reaper, we're going for the big disease. The icebox is being unlocked by the president of the Armenian Medical Association, under whose strict supervision these toxins are being administered. This is it. Doctor, give him that really big disease. Now, patient, can you hear me? You've got ten seconds to tell us what you've got. And for the last time... Beat the Reaper! I, I feel... I, I think I feel... I don't know, whatever... Whatever it is, I, I want to die. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. That's not correct. You didn't beat the Reaper. Doctor, bring the patient out and show the amphitheater audience and all the folks at home just what he's contracted. According to my careful prosthesis, this man has the plague. Thank you, Doctor. You're welcome. You've got the plague. Well, isn't he a good sport? We'll be back in just a moment with our next patient, but first... Yes, we're back. That was an example, ladies and gentlemen, of the comedy stylings of the Firesign Theater. Phil Austin, David Osman, Peter Bergman, and Philip Proctor. We had Phil on the show a few years ago, and we're happy to finally bring him back. The boys had a mini reunion down in Monterey on the 24th of April, and yours truly went down to cover the event for you, dear listener. Had a pretty good time at that event, but I don't want to make this a monologue. Let's make a dialogue out of this, and welcome back our good pal, Phil Proctor. Well, thank you. It's great to be back in your ears. (laughs) Although they were a little hairier than I remember them the last time. (laughs) Now let's. Uh, that's because you know. As you, that's because Doug is. And you, being a doctor, you know this. As you get older, you you start losing the hair on the top of your head, and it, it has to go somewhere. Yes, Phil. We we caught up with you a few weeks back, April twenty fourth. You and the rest of the boys in the Firesign Theater got back together for a show at the Golden Gate, Golden State Theater Golden down State. in Monterey. Yeah, and that was that was very that's interesting right. for me to be down and watch you guys practice. Talk a little bit about that, and and, and how you guys occasionally will get back together like this. Our last tour was a tour of the West Coast. It was about four or five years ago. We started in Seattle. We ended up at the Cerritos Art Center 
and it was very successful. We pretty well sold out each each venue, and then we thought, well, we'll probably do that again. You know, we had ICM was representing us. Oh boy, let's do some more, and then nothing happened. And uh, finally, we uh, we did some work with uh, this wonderful. Well, we we Warren Dewey, who uh, owned who owns and has renovated this beautiful 80-year-old Golden State Theater in Monterey, California, and made it into a very viable concert venue. For instance, the people coming in after us were Donovan and the Smothers Brothers, right. among many others. So uh, he had been our uh, producer and engineer for our XM radio show, uh, Fools in Space. And he knew our work very well, and uh, we love him, and he loves us. And so uh, he offered us an opportunity to come up and uh, do this on our own, uh, with no bookers in between or anything. And we said, sure, this is a great way to uh, to perhaps extend our, our touring career by making uh, four-wall deals with other uh, theaters and bringing our show in. But this time around, instead of uh, mounting a big, fat show with lights and costumes and sets and, you know, truckloads of, of uh, stuff, uh, we decided to do something that we've been wanting to do for a long time, which is recreate on stage the creative process that uh, we use to make our records and do our radio shows, to wit, standing in front of microphones with scripts in our hands. Now, uh, uh, or, or sitting around a table with, uh, with material uh, that was sometimes written and, and passed around for the first time, uh, sight unseen to the other members of the of the uh, group, or uh, to improvise material together for as long as we could sustain it, or to uh, bring in uh, individual material that we thought would break up our partners and we could have some fun with, or would inspire us to go into a rap. So that's what we did. We designed a show that was made up of our some of our uh, greatest hits, which, which uh, the fans love to hear. <clears throat> and we also did a segment around the table, which we call a Dear Friends segment, because that was the name of the, sh- the first show that we did together. Uh, and we improvised for about a half an hour, uh, which was really, 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 really fun. Uh, we also did have music and sound effects. Not so much sound effects. We did most of the sound effects ourselves with our, with our mouths. But the music, uh, we had a fellow named Taylor Jessen, uh, who has been kind of a, a co-producer for us and an archivist for many years, and he sat out there and threw in music under certain pieces that we did. Uh, we decided that when we were going to uh, return to some of our classic material, like I think we're all bozos on this bus, you don't crush that dwarf for the American pageant, etc., we would update it, which we did yeah. for our present time. And I thought that worked pretty well, didn't you? I, I did. I was fascinated, and I want to thank you for having me come on down and watch you boys up on the stage as you're doing some dry runs of the material. And I must say, you guys are holding just a, a fistful of papers out there and going through them page by page and getting your timing down perfect. It was quite interesting to watch uh, how that how that unfolds. Well, it, actually, Doug, we only did that because we wanted to have a doctor in the house. <laughs> You know, we, we started in the 60s, and now we're all in our 60s. So, you know, it's a good idea to have a, 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 a medical person in our vicinity at all times. That's good. And a defibrillator is not a bad idea as well. No, no. A defibrillator is a very, very pretty girl. And we have Dee out there because she energizes us in another way and makes us feel young. <laughs> Well, I certainly enjoyed uh, that whole that whole event down in Monterey, and, and just as an aside, that 
you guys were staying in this hotel down there, and uh, the, the Hotel Pacific, and uh, there's this whole area of Monterey that's just it's just full of these great little hotels and great places to hang out, and, and I think a lot of people that go to Monterey don't even realize there is this mini downtown. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's a beautiful little city, and, uh, and we really didn't, my wife and I didn't have much of a chance to, uh, to, to, to really investigate it in depth because we were working so hard putting the show together and, and, you know, taking flyers around and stuff like that, uh, promoting the show. But afterwards, we got to go up to uh, visit a friend of ours uh, named Andy Thomas, who's also been a producer with the Fireside when we were with Rhino Records. Uh, and we visited him at the Sea Ranch up there in Sonoma, yeah. which was an absolutely amazing experience. So that uh, I hope we get back, we get to tour some more and do our show some more in that area up there, because it really is uh, a beautiful part of California. And, uh, and we, we drew from a, uh, an audience that came as far away as, as Germany, wow. believe it or not. Wow. Some guy came from Hamburg. Wow. Hamburg, yeah, to, to come and see the show. We had people come from Miami and New York and Germany and, How and exciting. You know, all kinds of interesting places. Yeah, it was very exciting. Yeah. Considering, particularly, you know, the state of the economy, uh, we, we practically sold out the house. And that was really, really thrilling for us. Well, it was a very large theater, and uh, that, that is an accomplishment, and it was beautiful, of course, stuff from the 1920s. If you, uh, if you guys are coming back up here, give us a shout. We'll, we'll have you come on before to kind of get, get people to go see you, I think. Sure, you got it, absolutely. But, let, but let's talk uh, about... Let, what, yeah, but Phil, let's talk well, about the, the next week. Uh, I, I, we we um, had a chance to cross paths with you and, and your wife, Melinda, when you were doing an event for Norman Corwin, and there was an event for, for Mr. Corwin and Ray Bradbury... The subsequent in week in Los Angeles, I traveled down there, ran into you again there in the theater. I knew you were going to be there, and what an event that was! Can you talk a little bit about uh, about uh, the Leviathan presentation that we saw? Sure, I will. And, and I want to remind you that I uh, and I think you reminded me well, the first time we met was at a Norman Corwin uh, event at the, what the Museum of Television and Radio down in Beverly Hills. Exactly. You and your wife right? were on stage with Ed Asner and 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 reenacting some of Corwin's uh, great moments. That's right. That's right. Uh, I've had an opportunity to work. Uh, Melinda Peterson and I, my wife, uh, have had an opportunity to work with Norman oh four or five times over the years. Uh, this was an event called Leviathan ninety nine. Uh, uh, the name of a novel by Ray Bradbury, which was uh, transformed into a live radio show on stage at the Directors Guild Theater in uh, on Doheny in uh, California, in Los Angeles. Uh, but it was also to celebrate. Norman Corwin's 99th birthday. Yes. And Norman and Ray have been friends for a very long time. It was, uh, Norman, uh, first of all, talked about his relationship to Ray and his, uh, his, his writings. And then Ray gave an absolutely beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, speech uh, uh, describing in detail how Norman had basically uh, uh, taken him under his wing when he was a young writer. And, uh, and, and attempted to put his stuff on the radio, and also connected him to the publisher, who suggested that he put his Martian short stories together in the Martian Chronicles, which, of course, made Ray's career and got him started on this incredible uh, public path that we've all enjoyed for so many years. But this particular event, which was put together by Peggy Weber, Peggy Weber and the Cart Company, the California uh, uh, Artist Repertory Theater, uh, was really a very special event. They, had, they did an adaptation of Ray's uh, sprawling novel, uh, at, which was quite fascinating and actually made all of the salient points. But the cast was the exciting aspect of this. 
tell us about who was up there. It was it was very exciting for me to see uh, to see some of these these names that we, you know I think will be familiar to our audience up on stage doing yes. in essence a radio presentation. Uh, there, standing with script in hand, were William Shatner playing a large uh, alien spider, very convincingly. <laughs> yes, he was. Uh, yes. Uh, Bit of a reach, but he but he pulled it off. Yeah, Walter Koenig, uh, who played an astronaut. Uh, and, and oddly enough, I was told by my friend Sky McDougall, uh, who, is a, uh, who helped to produce the event and, and performed in it as well, that when, <laughs> when Bill Shatner, who came in like a day before to rehearse his stuff, uh, met, William, met Walter, he didn't recognize him because Walter was wearing a baseball cap <laughs> and was sitting kind of far down the line on the chairs. And it wasn't until Walter got up and started reading that he said, Oh, my God, it's you! <laughs> and went over and gave him a hug. Also in the cast was Sean Astin, uh, who is John Astin's son, and a, a wonderful actor. And he, he played the, uh, the lead astronaut. He actually, Ishmael Jones. Remember, this, this Leviathan 99 is basically Ray Bradbury's take on the Moby Dick uh, story, yes. but told in, you know, in, in the future. Sean Astin uh, played the lead, and he did a beautiful job. We also had up there uh, Richard Hurd, a very wonderful, well-known actor out here uh, who has done a lot of radio in his time. H.W. Winant, another famous radio actor, and a very famous radio actor, Norman Lloyd, who's been around forever and has worked with you know the likes of, uh, uh, of um, Orson Welles and done a lot of things with Norman over the years. And then the beautiful Samantha Egger, uh, as, as Captain Rachel of the Pious One, who, who did a very, very moving uh, speech at the very end of the piece that wrapped things up magnificently. It was, it was really thrilling to, to see this company uh, dig in and pull off this very complicated piece of work, and, uh, and everybody was extremely happy. I know Sky said that when he, whenever he looked down, often when he looked down and, and saw Ray sitting in his wheelchair, down there because he had had a stroke a little while ago. There were tears in his eyes or tears streaming down his face. This was a piece that Norman Corwin had originally offered to CBS when Norman was the, the king of uh, the golden age of radio. And CBS said, sure, Mr. Bradbury, we'd love to do your piece. Uh, we'll do it in three-minute segments. <laughs> to which Ray said, what? And of course, it never got done. Yeah. So this was the first time this piece was ever actually adapted for radio and performed for radio. It was a treat. It was. It, it, what I was so intrigued by is not. It's not like doing a performance on stage where you're acting. You're re, you're going. You're talk, You're speaking into a microphone, and what's it, what's important is how that sounds. You're in a sense doing radio drama on on the stage, and for me that was curious to watch because people are sort of you know making eye contact, giving people sort of a high sign as they do as they do something well. And uh, that's right. You, you sort of get it. You, it, there's an intimate feel to the production that's going on that you don't get when someone's doing a regular job of acting. That's right. Or if you're doing it isolated in a studio, for that matter. Right. Uh, and of course, you, you know, Fireside Theater. We used to. Uh, we've had a tremendous opportunity to explore this kind of performance because we used to uh, write shows and perform them on the stage of the uh, Improv in Los Angeles uh, before we actually. Started before we actually went to the studio and recorded the piece that we were working on. This is something the Marx Brothers used to do up at the Lobero Theater in, uh, in Santa Barbara. They used to uh, do a, a stage show before they went in to do their movies. 
Okay, right. so they kind of knew where the laughs were. Well, Firestone Theater did the same thing. So, and we did it often off script when we were really cranking the stuff out. We, we, and we were all young. We could remember the material pretty quickly uh, that we'd write, and we were trying it out also on stage. So we were free to improvise if we wanted to. But it gives you a tremendous feeling of authority. Uh, to, to be able to have a script in your hand and know how to work off of that script in such a way that your eyes are not necessarily glued to the paper, but that you can interact with people, you can interact with your audience, you can improvise if you want, if, it, you know, if the piece allows for that. And, uh, and, of course, I've had the great joy of being directed by the master himself, Norman Corwin, uh, who is it's a little bit too enfeebled right now. The, the two wonderful men were both in wheelchairs, and there's a picture that I think a friend of yours sent me, Doug, of the two of them shaking hands in their wheelchairs. It was it's very moving and, and really lovely to see. Yes. If anybody wants to see any pictures, by the way, they can go to Facebook and go to the Firesign Theater uh, link, and uh, they'll be able to look at an album and see pictures of the performance that I took and that your friends took and uh, that other people oh, great. Uh, took, as well as pictures of the performance of the Firesign Theater show, and actually some short videos that people took with their iPhones and things. Excellent. What a world! It is. And let's, let's, let's put a plug in for Planet Proctor while we're at it, because you, we, we do, uh, oh, we sure. on many occasions, use some of the jokes you've sent us. So we, we thank you for that. Good. Good. If anybody wants a laugh, just go to www.planetproctor.com, and I'll, I'll make you dotty. <laughs> Well, Phil, don't be a stranger. As we close, we should note that uh, we've had the pleasure of interviewing, of course, both Norman Corwin and Ray Bradbury on this show. We refer listeners to our archives at radioparallax.com. They were two of our all-time favorite interviews. I didn't know that, and I certainly will, uh, will jump on board and, and listen to them. That's great. Please do. And, uh, and let's go out. I think after we say goodbye here, we're going to do a bit from, from your past. Thanks, Doug. Great talking to you Philip, again. Philip Proctor, always a pleasure. And don't, don't be a stranger. You, the same for you. Okay, bye, everybody. Okay. Classified, ultra secret, Air Force generals only. Ten hut. At ease, men. Take your seat. This is General Curtis Goatheart. If you are viewing this film, then we are under extraterrestrial attack. Beware. Your brain may no longer be the boss. If... You are beginning to doubt what I am saying. You are probably hallucinating. Listen carefully. What to do if an alien appears? One. Drop under the seat of your plane and look away. Two. Avoid eye contact. Three. If there are no eyes, avoid all contact. How to identify alleged sightings? One. Pie plates or as reflections in the atmosphere. Two. Dry cleaning bags filled with marsh gas or... Three. Mass insanity. How to inform your wife and others under your command. You're listening to Radio Parallax, and there's plenty more in our third segment. Don't go away. Honey. She's related to the honey. He's like a PX, though. Honey and, and men, I have something awesome to reveal to you.